Michael Booth. He's a good mate of mine. I've known him for a number of years. He's an ex-bloke in the podcast here. Uh, for many of you who don't know Mike, um, he's recently become the AEWP World Tour Distance Series Champion for SUP Paddling. That's stand-up paddleboarding for all of you players at home. Three-time World Distance Race Champion, three times Australian Champion, and three times European Tour Champion. As you can see, Boothie the last three years has actually been dominating in the SUP world. He travels all around the world, you know. He's one of those guys you follow on social media and you wonder, you wonder why the hell aren't you doing that? Um, well, the reason is, is probably you're not training 30 hours a week, which he does, um, on the water training and he's been doing it since a young age. So in this podcast, we go through his story, you know, as a little grom getting in the water in Queensland and, you know, how he's pivoted from initially being an Ironman champion through to ski paddler and, and kayaker and then more recently as a sup. Um, world champion as you do um boothy's story is uh you know full of resilience and a powerhouse he's a pretty short bloke um you know he's uh but he's world champ so you can kind of hear his story how he's like his um you know continual ongoing commitment to performance and success and his competitiveness has really got him to really uh, set himself up in the sport. But what he's doing, he's not just doing it himself, um, Boothie, he's actually really building up a fantastic community around him. Um, he's a great blogger. Um, he's actually got his own uh, Boothcast at the moment, which is his own podcast, which is live streamed on Facebook, and he's got his uh, podcast and all the channels available. So tune in to Boothie's chat. Um, I really enjoyed it and, uh, you know, it's a great way to kind of hear how an elite athlete is pivoting in this time of COVID uh, to, you know, still generate a bit of revenue and income and uh, build up a community of the sub, um, sub community worldwide. Enjoy. Michael Booth, great to have you on the Iron Yarn podcast and also your show on Facebook. Sorry, mate, what's that with your show? Uh, Boothcast. Boothcast. So where can people find the Boothcast? Uh, Boothcast can be found on my Facebook page, Michael Booth, or it can also be found on your favourite podcast channel. If you go to anchor.fm forward slash Boothcast, you can find it there. You Okay, fantastic. So um, this is exciting. I'm in my bedroom uh, right now, which is the first time I've done this. So hopefully you don't have too many conk outs. But, mate, the way how we do it on the Iron Yarn podcast first up um, is actually starting off with a bit of a quote it's, uh, that you love you live by. So my favorite quote at the moment is actually, we don't rise to the occasion, we fall to our highest level of, of preparation. Right. I, uh, I really like that one. Where did you kind of come across that? Um, it's a, it was a negotiation book by Chris Voss and he was talking about preparing to enter a negotiation and that's the, the quote he used. And um, yeah, it just sort of resonated with me really well. So tell me, where did you get into starting to read a negotiation book? Um, I don't know. I'm just really interested in negotiations, in uh, talking to people, in communication. So, um, yeah, I just got it. I just started reading those books. Well, I actually don't read technically. I listen to Audible. So I listen to audio books. And when I'm driving or when I'm training, um, I find it's a really, really handy tool. So you feel like you're, you're constantly learning. Totally, totally. One of the um, quotes that just comes to mind that's very aligned with that is a bit of a quote that the, um, the SAS use, um, which is the Swanbourne Barracks just around the corner where I grew up and where you live now in WA, they call it the six P's, prior preparation prevents piss poor performance. Yeah, and um, I love that one. 
Yeah, that's pretty much a sim- very, very similar one. Like, so that guy who came up with that quote is actually uh, a CIA sort of FBI negotiator. So, oh, true, you've heard that one there already. Yeah, yeah, I heard that one as well. Yeah, it's really, really good. Uh, deadly. So, um, you've been having a few chats. Um, so everyone who uh, hasn't heard of Mike Booth, um, he's got his own platform at the moment. But your world's kind of shifted significantly the last few years. You've been on tour, traveling around the world globally, um, just casually being world champs up. Racer, do you mind uh, sharing some, uh, you know, a bit of the highlights you've had over the last few years? Sure. Um, but yeah, basically the, the stand-up sort of stuff started back in uh, 2015, um, just before I was kayaking and then before that I was doing ocean ski racing and surf life saving. But um, yeah, the SUP sort of took control in 2016. I won my first world title there in Fiji and um, then I won, since then I've won three European tour titles, probably the biggest tour in our sport at the moment. Um, I've won a distance race world title um, series with APP last year. I won my first ever ICF world championship title last year as well. So, um, and yeah. then I won another world title in uh, Hainan in China. Uh, distance, all distance race stuff. So sort of like an hour to an hour and a half of um, paddling where sort of uh, endurance is really, really important. And yeah, just been on tour for, oh, I guess nearly 10 years now when I first started sort of doing ocean racing and then it's gradually got more and more as, time has progressed but yeah this year is um i think with for most people has really sort of taken taking its control of your life really like you can't really do the things that you're normally able to do and um, we just have to sort of find those different things that we can do at the times that we probably can't do what we would, we would rather like to be doing totally man and i appreciate you giving us that kind of like quick sorry we lost a little bit of audio here uh, and we're right back into it now and uh, so where we first kind of came connected was when I was kayaking and it was more towards the back end of when I was kayaking and you were kind of fresh in there. So I was like, oh, I thought I was, you know, I could at least um, sit in the kayak and not fall in, eh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a tough start, but I got, I got there and eventually. So do you mind filling in, uh, you know, what was your story? Like in elite sport, you kind of gone through the Queensland system as an Ironman, yeah? And then you kind of tr- transitioned over there. Do you mind sharing, you know, what was your story starting to be a bit of an elite athlete? Where did that all begin? Um, well, being an elite athlete, I think, was something that I always wanted to be when I was, I was growing up. Um, I always loved sport. I loved training and I loved really participating at the highest level. So... Um, in the juniors, like I sort of made five state teams. I, I was in the Australian teams. I, I medaled at Aussies a lot. And um, I guess once, once I turned 18, I finished school and I moved up to the Gold Coast uh, to join Northcliffe and sort of join that, that awesome training environment that they have there. And uh, the goal at the time was to sort of make that Nutrigrain Ironman series, which was uh, the pinnacle of the sport. And um, that didn't sort of work out. I actually had one of the trials where I was leading um, with Corey Hill and we sort of got punched by a wave and skis went in the air and we went from like first and second to 17th to 18th and the next couple of weeks we were sort of like a bit down in ourselves oh well that, that kind of sucks like we, we should have been in there like we had a perfect opportunity but in the end it was kind of like the best thing that ever happened to me um, we went we took that sort of negative and made it a positive we flew down to Sydney and did a, a surf ski race I finished like 27th I think it was a Fen Cup um, in Sydney and Dean Garner sort of helped me get a boat and and then a few weeks later, it was the, it was the Dubai Shamal and the, the Hong Kong Dragon run at the time. And we decided that, oh, it would be a good idea to get over there. So initially I said no, and I borrowed some money off dad and we, we cruised over there and had my first international racing experience. And then from there on, it was all about like, how do I continue these experiences? How do I chase these dreams? And 
how do I get to travel and, and race and, and sort of have, live that sort of lifestyle? So uh, I pursued that for a long time. Um, at the same time, I was studying engineering. I did that for two years. It wasn't really for me. I didn't really see myself sitting in a, a cubicle in, a, in an office space, especially not through my 20s. I, I really thought that I had so many opportunities elsewhere to chase that I wanted to really pursue. And so I worked in the bar at Northcliffe and, and sort of lived on 20 grand a year and was trying to make it work. And um, yeah, so race internationally, went to like South Africa, to Mauritius, to Tahiti, to America. I did six week, 12 week trips. And then now I'm doing um, on the sub scene, like doing the six to 12 weeks in Europe. And um, so hold going, back, hold back. What was that ca- just cutting in there, that transition from, you know, the surf ski stuff, which is kind of where we first connected. And then there was like this big, was well, a huge transition, but you know, a, a different sport. Um, a lot of obviously yeah. parallels in the ocean, but what was that big kind of moment, that tipping point where you realize actually, um, you know, SUP, para, uh, SUP is my sport. Um, so I guess I'll go back a little bit more as well. Like when I was, um, ocean ski paddling, I'd started kayaking where I obviously met you down at the, uh, I think it was a South Australian training camp and we sort of hung yeah. out there with like Scott Smith and a couple of those other guys. And, um, I, I guess I, I did kayaking to get better at ocean ski paddling. And then I, I got better at kayaking and eventually like made the Australian team and the junior Australian team and raced in Zegid and Moscow in 2015. But around the same time, um, so my friend Damien Gulliver was lifeguarding with my brother um, on the Gold Coast and he was starting up a sub brand and was like, hey, like you guys, you should try it to actually to my brother. And when I heard of that, I was like, oh, can I come down and try it as well? Because I've been watching this um, video called Positively Kai at the time. And it was, oh, it was actually a series that Kyle Lenny self-produced or produced with his sponsors. And I was watching that sport and I was like, I feel like that sport is a hybrid between surf ski paddling, um, Ironman, SUP or whatever it is. Like, I feel like I've got all those skills. Like, how do I go do it? So that was like, oh, there's an opportunity there. Let's go grab it. And after I went for a paddle, like Damien was kind of like, oh, you're actually like quite good on the stand up. Do you want to have a crack at this? And yeah, from there, I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. Like, how do I get a ball? I always say yes. Like, everything I say yes. I'm just like, I'll work out how to do it. Like, it, it'll just happen, you know? And, like, it's just all about time, consistency, and preparation and sort of giving your all to something. But when I started stuff, I was not very good. Um, I did that. I remember doing my first ever um, SUP paddleback. It was four kilometers from Southport Spit to um, near where we were living at the time in Northcliffe. And I could not stand up for longer than two minutes. I could not control the board. I fell off a million times getting out. Um, my feet would get sore, my legs would get sore. And that's when I really realized how much of my, I focused on my upper body, not my legs. And um, so yeah. Little chicken just, legs, eh? Little yeah, chicken legs. little chicken legs. And uh, like, I had no stability through my hips or my core. Like, and I think that was something that really affected me in the team boats and the kayaking. But um, it was good to like sort of learn that yourself. and. I just, yeah, just kept pursuing that dream and then sort of, yeah, it's moved into the space that we're in now. Totally. And it's, it's quite funny, hey, like this transition, both you and I, you know, aren't the tallest blokes going around and uh, you found the sport, like, you know, as it, with a kayak, sometimes their longer arms can be seen. You know, you've got guys like Reese Baker with his big albatross arms that are like yeah. twice the length of our height, whereas us guys a bit shorter, you know, that lower centre of gravity, all of a sudden, do you feel that's a real advantage you have? Uh, definitely. I think having shorter legs on the stand up, as you say, like your center of gravity is lower. Whereas like you've got something like a surf ski or a kayak where it's, it is a lot of that weight um, distribution, depending on like, the, cause like all oh, they're all displacement hulls. So when you're pushing them through the water, if you've got a bit more weight, you've got a bit more momentum through the water. Whereas a lighter guy will sit higher 
and not be able to get that repulsion. Whereas because you're standing now, the taller guys, their center of gravity is a lot higher, so they can't actually paddle them on, say, a narrower board or a lighter board because they're, they're a lot higher, so they're going to be more unstable. So it sort of brought it back. It's kind of like surfing. Like, you look at a lot of the surfers, with the exception of a couple of guys, like, they're all really short guys, like 5'8", five, 5'7". It's sort of like where you see a lot of those guys, like the Brazilians and Kelly Slater. But then you've got obviously the extremes. You've got Geordie Smith, who's like six foot three. Um, mm. But it's fine. The majority of those um, athletes are smaller. And I think stand-up paddling is one of those sports that does, does kind of favour the smaller athlete, which is great for me. One of the really cool things that um, just picking up in your story, like that transition from, you know, a really supportive environment growing up as a kid, you go down to a surf club, you're kind of thrown in, you know, your boards, skis, swim, surf skills, all these different things. Such a great way to live. That's why surf lifesaving has an amazing place in Australia. But then you kind of transition into surf ski paddling, you know, and you've got these amazing guys. You've mentioned Dean Gardner, who also for me was just someone just a top like, yeah, mate, no worries. Yeah, hey, what comes around, swings around, comes around, whatever, we'll hook you up with a ski. And all of a sudden you get this little interest. You know, for me, I had um, you know, these guys, Market Brockhurst, um, some, you know, a guy, um, Andrew Stevens, James Knowles, Will Bird, Tom Bird, these abs and Tim Bird, sorry. And just like, no worries, mate. Yeah, come around, come on the ski. But I had no idea how to tie a ski on my roof. It was embarrassing. You know, you got a 25 knot southwester and I didn't know how to put in the ski. And this guy, this guy's absolute galah. And um, that's what I love. Like, I think around a lot of ocean sports, you've got this, like, degree of um, camaraderie and mateship and community. Um, has that, have you felt like that? Obviously, SUP's a bit more of a developing sport than some of these other more established ones. But is that really coming through in the SUP world? I think um, yeah, ocean sports in general has a fantastic community. Like, most people who are down there are down there because they really want to be. Like, it's sort of like... And you have like sort of like the older age between like the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, where these guys are going to work every day, but they're coming down and racing ski races because they love paddling with their friends. They love racing against their friends. And that community is amazing. I think SUP has that um, just as much or more than an ocean ski. But the thing that's probably different between SUP and ocean ski, because SUP is emerging and smaller, um, just because it's only been around for like nine or 10 years, whereas surf ski has been around for 50 or so years or paddling in general, um, there is that little bit of difference because you don't have the the greats of the sport. You don't have the Dean Gardner's. You don't have the um, Oscar Chalopsky's, um, like those type of paddlers who have been around for forever and are still part of the sport. Whereas the guys who are the best in the sport are actually the guys you're racing against still because there isn't that history. There isn't that sustained... Because um, you like the guys who are older, like someone like Travis Grant or George Cronston, those guys have been really good in other sports like Vaal, Outrigger. And then they've sort of transitioned across, similar to my story, but I'm obviously they're sort of like put 35-ish and I'm sort of six, seven years younger than those guys. And um, they're sort of like the, the elder states in the sport, but I'm sort of quickly moving into that space, which is really weird because I'm, I'm not even 30 yet. Yeah, you're still a little grum. Yeah, well, I think I am anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so another thing I'd like to really touch on, like I think, you know, it's uh, admiring from afar is around how you've really lifting this sport up as a whole. And I think it's really your, the entrepreneurial way, how like, you know, we're getting on this call Zoom. Oh, I want to learn how to record. I want to learn how to do all these different things. And, you know, all of a sudden your whole, um, essentially a lot of your livelihood, racing, paying the bills traveling the world the reason why you got into the sport in the first place and now you're kind of pivoting in oh why not i've got this great community get it online where do you think that kind of real entrepreneurial spirit kind of comes from where you know is that something you've been brought up with or 
Um, I don't necessarily think it was something I was brought up with. I think I lived in a pretty traditional household where my mum and dad went to work. Mum was a school teacher. Dad worked in a whole different host of different business opportunities, but always working for someone else. And um, I always like to take control of my own life. Um, and where, I don't know where exactly I'd learned that from, but I always learned that whatever time and effort I put into something, I usually get a bigger return than putting time and effort into something for somebody else. And that's the way that I've looked at most things. Like, I guess you may not have money, but you've got your, your time and your effort. So I can spend 12 hours on something. And, and I, if I think that that's a passion project, something like the, the booth cast that I'm doing now, um, I've got time and effort to put into that and where that goes, I have no idea, but the, the community that I've been lucky enough to sort of surround myself with and the people who comment on all my posts each and every time I do something or uh, who text me and sort of go, Oh, can you interview this person or, or talk about this person? And, um, it's, it's pretty amazing that over time that you've sort of garnered all these relationships, but you don't realize how important they are and how much I enjoy actually telling other people's stories or talking stories inside a sport, because it really does bring up the, the value of the sport and bring up the, um, the interest in the sport, whether that's externally or internally, like I just really love telling stories and, um, it's something that I'm really, really lucky to be able to do. Like in, in this day and age, like I can do, I was planning to do interviews like all around the place. I remember interview Dean Garter in like 2017, like going back and I, I hated editing and it's amazing that now I can sit in my, my bedroom and, and be talking to you and be recording at the same time. And we're able to share this conversation out there with everybody. Totally, totally, man. I love that. And I think, um, you know, it, the new way of work, I think everyone's going to be having to be more agile with what they do. Uh, I think this time now is what you say is really bringing up a lot of light around, you know, it's really, you know, the energy effort will generate the rewards you do. And that's becoming a lot more front of mind as obviously a lot of people are getting out of the work and out of jobs and how do they bring that mentality, whether it's a sub athlete or, you know, as an accountant, financial planner, whatever it is, how do you have that agile um, kind of way of thinking? So what um what we can eat like doing now? I might um quickly share some of the we did Ion. So for uh, some of your viewers out there, who probably haven't heard of Ion. Ion is a platform where um that essentially I created um as a result of doing some work in some indigenous communities. I learned about a word called Leon, and uh, Leon is essentially your body, your emotion, your mind, your spirit, your everything, and. And uh, after I got culturally adopted by the Ejai family from the Bardi clan up in the northwest of Australia, um, whenever I, when I got adopted, people no longer said, oh, Lockie, how are you going? They said, oh, Binjali, how's your Leon? And it was disrespectful to my family, my community, my culture, Bardi culture, if I wasn't truly honest and deep and with them. So I was like, shit, that's powerful. You know, all the times, you, you know, you may be down the race. Oh, how are you going? Yeah, good, mate. Yeah, good. Yeah, good. Yeah, mate. Yeah, it's good. Tough times, you know, COVID tough. But then yeah. how are you actually as a buddy creating safe spaces to kind of really go in and the nitty gritty of, of what, what's happening with life. So I kind of created this platform, Ion, to essentially facilitate those deeper conversations that you may have with your friends, peers, loved ones, um, and, you know, even colleagues at work. So in this intention with the podcast, it's kind of like, you know, I've asked you to kind of create your own Ion. I've just got a picture here. It's actually an app that people can find. But this is a check-in that you did last week and then it's actually transitioned to another check-in this week. So firstly to that, you know, you, these are the areas, you've chosen these areas. You said, you know, you've got a fair few here. Um, generally what we like doing is kind of focusing on some of the highlights. So, you know, these ones of um, you've got energy, family, finances, happiness, 
mental health, personal um, personal development and relationships, they're all pretty strong. So, you know, do you mind just sharing some light around how do you kind of keep them strong? Are there any kind of tools and techniques you do to keep them strong? Yeah, so when you asked me to, to make an eye yarn wheel, I think I looked at the, the setup of the whole thing. I think you can put maximum 18 um, things on there. And I was like, well, why don't I try and do as many as I can? And um, yeah, so I, I guess for me, like I, there's a lot of ones that, there that are pretty similar, like personal development, um, like, I don't know, like exercise challenges, career, like they're all sort of like similar because obviously like my exercise is my job and I'm trying to like sort of pursue those sort of things. So um, with personal development, I'm just trying to, at the moment, like trying to pivot and change the way I do things because I obviously cannot do the things that I would normally do. I, I'm not training, I'm not traveling, I'm not planning for races or organizing clinics and all that sort of stuff. So when I looked at this, I was like, okay, so where's my personal development? And at the moment it's like focusing on um, following passion projects, like like doing the boothcast and focusing on um, different learning things that I can learn about. Like I'm really interested in financial planning at the moment. So I'm looking into potentially studying that. I've got a business degree so I can move on on top of that. Um, and then obviously working on my business as well, like um, with my booth training and paddles and all that sort of different stuff that I've, I've sort of pivoted to throughout my career. I'm trying to, to really work on it. Like normally you work in the business, but now I'm trying to work on the business. So that sort of comes down to the career and the challenges and trying to really focus on. So at the moment, I think it says five for career. And I think that's because I'm really uncertain as to where that's going to go. Like um, if you look at it, if, if I said this in December, I would have said this was like my career is going 10 out of 10. It was going unbelievably, but you get to um, March, April this year and it's just all completely changed. Totally, totally. And I guess, you know, if you go this one that you've done more recently, like this one just here, um, you know, you can see that the things that have shifted a little bit. Um, exercise is still a bit low here, mate. So talk to me. I see you're doing a bit of um, a couple of programs for people to tune into around training programs. Yeah, so I've been doing, I've been coaching people for now uh, probably three or four years. Um, and that just came as well, like with that entrepreneurial thing, like people would text me and go, hey, Michael, have you, like, would you be interested in coaching me? And I was like, absolutely. Like, um, as I said before, like I always say yes. And um, so I started developing that. And then as I've gone through, I've gradually um, increased that. I've, I've made it more streamlined. I've got like a, a community um, on booth training now where like everyone shares their sessions each day. Like I've got athletes like all around the world, like in um, South America, the United States, um, all through Europe, like, um, and it's been quite incredible to teach um, different people and help them become the best version of themselves. So um, exercise for me at the moment, I think, as I said, 5.3, um, because I'm not doing what I would normally do. So like, if, you, if, if this was three weeks ago, before the COVID thing really knocked out basically my whole year, um, I would be in 10 out of 10. Like I was, I did like, I don't know, 15 to 18 sessions that week. Like I was right into it, back into full program, four gyms, like six sup paddles, couple of ski paddles, like, you know, like really like running everything. And now it's like, okay, well, I probably don't need to do as much, but I need to keep training. So, and that's sort of why I've given it a sort of a five out of 10. Totally, totally. And I guess, um, you know, one of the next things, the big intention of Ion, like all this, and I really appreciate you sharing this publicly, like generally people don't really share their personal Ions publicly like you are. But I think, you know, through being vulnerable with your friends, with your community, that builds connection. 
And, um, you know, obviously a lot, you know, the journey ahead for you is not going to be easy. Um, but I think, you know, what I hear is uh, you've got a real resilient mindset. Um, and I feel like maybe you've got had another experience in your life where you may have been, um, you know, exposed and felt quite vulnerable and uh, very challenged. Is there another time where you felt essentially as exposed as you are kind of now with your work and things like that? You may want to share some light on. I think everything that I've done since I've left school, I've really taken risks. I've never been a person to sort of go, oh, no, I won't do that because it may not work out. I've always been the person who's just gone, I'm going to do it and I'm going to see what happens. And whatever happens, I'm actually chasing the things that I'm passionate about. And if it works out, that's fantastic. If it doesn't, I'm not going to think, oh, geez, I wish I went back when I was 23. I, I, I didn't, I, I kept doing Ironman instead of doing surf ski and all that sort of thing. Like I, I I sort of made these decisions that were hard decisions and financially, like when I was, I remember when I did that Dubai Shamal and Hong Kong dragon run, um, I had like no money, like $0. Like I was with living week to week, like, and I was just like, I just in my gut. And I think intrinsically, like, you know, that in your, in your heart and in your soul, like, you know, that this is, this could be a good thing for you. And you, every time that I've said no to that, that feeling, I've always, it's never worked out the way I wanted it to. So I've always said yes. And, that was a really good thing. So I borrowed money from dad and I went and did it. And it's the same thing with engineering. I remember sitting in classes at Griffith university there on the gold coast. And like one, I hated driving to uni. I, I just, I thought that was wasting my time. I was wasting like an hour and a half of my day traveling to university to sit there for one lecture and then drive home. And, oh, and it was just, it wasn't really working out for me. And I, I, I knew for like a year that I didn't really want to do it. And I sort of started like failing subjects and, just like not turning up the classes and not studying. And it just got to the point where I was just like, okay, well, let's, let's just try and pivot. Let's just, you want to, you want to do something else. Let's go do that. So I've always left myself pretty vulnerable with my decisions. Um, but I've always known within myself that I can, I can achieve whatever I put my mind to. So, and, and so you say, just kind of unpacking that for myself, because I know a lot of young people, you know, that phase of like early, like late teens, early twenties, or even late twenties, are figuring out what do I really love doing? Was it the thing that you just, did you know in your early twenties, I just, what was it? Do you love being, was it love being in the water? Is it, what was it? I think I just loved. I love sport and I always have um, ever since I was a little kid. Like I was always the kid who trained the longest, who, um, who, who was always out there at dark catching waves on his prone board down at Blacksmith when I was at Swansea Belmont. And um, it just never changed. Like I just always loved being in the ocean, but I also loved doing any other sport that I could get my hand on. Like I had a tri triathlon, um, like I think I made a state team, but I ended up pulling out because I had Aussie titles at the same time. And um, like cross country, school swimming. Um, I think I played soccer for a long time. And yeah, I just, I just loved challenging myself and actually racing and i really enjoyed racing and trying to better myself against my competitors because um that was just that was just what drove me like every every day i get out of bed i'd try and be the best i could be and and the best i could be hopefully would be the best on the day so um yeah just constantly just trying to drive yourself and i think for kids looking at this and watching and trying to work out what they want to do i think it is a lot about your passions like follow your passions follow your dreams like don't think that oh, because somebody says you can't do it, like you're always going to have naysayers. You're always going to have people who are going to put you down and say, no, nah, you can't do that. Like nobody does that. Like one in a hundred thousand people get to do that. But it's like, well, hang on. Like I can be one in that one in 100,000 people. Like why not? Like, like not, there's not many people out there who've been able to, to do what I've done. Like in sport, like I I've taken, I've been able to make a career out of a very, very minority sport. And I've been very, very fortunate to do that. But as they say, they make, you make your own luck. So 
uh, for any kids out there watching, like just chase your dreams and, and be consistent and persistent with what you want to achieve. Yeah, I love that. I think it's a really good way to kind of wrap up the, the first interview for, uh, on the Iron Yarns with Michael Booth, mate. So what's, um, I guess, there's a fair bit of uncertainty moving, you know, in the net week on week. We don't know what's happening week on week. But, you know, so what are some of the consistent things um, in your life that you know that you just can't go wrong with? Um, to you know, and that, that could be a bit of inspiration for some people before we wrap it up. I think the most important thing is, is your family and your close friends. I think that's something that you really need to focus on. Like obviously my relationship with Christy is like always really strong and we're really able to talk to each other about anything. And I think you need to really have that person um, keeping your family safe at this time, I think is, is extremely important. Like making sure everyone's doing the right things, um, getting the right advice, but not buying into the hysteria of the media, like just staying within um, your own mindset and not reading too much. I think that's something that I, I made a mistake of early on. I was trying to, really like read everything and it's like no no just find a government website get get the stats and focus on that and then um going forward just trying to stay positive like i know exercise for me is something that i've learned over the past few weeks is something i have to do like if i don't go exercising once a day um, my mental and, and physical well-being is sort of it really, is really really affected and i think getting up doing that 30 minutes of exercise in the morning or going for a paddle going for a run or doing that home workout session is is something that you really need to do because it narrows your focus it, it really it releases the endorphins and it gets you kick-started for the day and never and i think lastly like just don't think the world's against you there's always opportunities there's always ways to pivot and there's always things we can do that's going to better our lives so even though it might seem all doom and gloom for some people at the moment there's there's another door to be open down the track Mate, 100%. I think it's a fantastic way to, to finish up on, mate. Thanks so much for having a yarn and, Thanks, um, and, and getting a bit vulnerable. No worries. Cheers. Thanks for having me on. So there you have it, world champ sup paddler. I'm sure uh, Michael Booth's name, I reckon, will be a kind of like an Australian household name in a number of years. All the work he does in the community and how the sup sport is growing massively. Just today I was on the water and I saw more sup paddlers on the water than kayakers. And it just kind of showed that, you know, good people like him are really helping growing the sport. Um, thanks a lot for tuning in. We've got a lot more uh, podcasts coming your way. We've also got these um, recorded on YouTube so if you want to go on there and actually see what Michael looks like and that you can go on there um, if you have any questions around or suggestions around who else you'd like me to interview on the podcast you know I'm getting through these uh, pretty rapidly now it's because uh, you know um, we're all home on our computers and I'm just doing these over Zoom so if you have any suggestions love to hear um, have a yarn if you have any questions about IR, feel free to reach out to me directly my email is Lockie L-O-C-K-I-E at iyarn.com.au. Anyway, thanks again and keep on yarn.